So uh, grab your Bibles if you have those, and if you need one, there's some on the chairs around you. Uh, and those are on page uh, 1248, I believe, if you're using one of those Bibles, page 1248. And I always want to encourage you to use your Bibles. If you have your own, bring them. If not, use the ones there, because one, how do you know I'm not making something up? Yeah, that's right. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> With all the seriousness that you just said that, absolutely. And so I put it up on the screen so that it, it can be seen in the, in the same version that I'm preaching in. But you need to make sure that you're not just listening to some guy manipulate and make something up. You've got to see it for yourself. So take, uh, do that. And then also, if you don't have a Bible of your own and you're using one of those Bibles from the chairs there, if as you're using that, you think, man, this really makes sense and the Bible I have doesn't or I don't have a Bible that, that I use, then take that as our gift to you, please. We'd, we'd love to have to replenish Bibles because people are taking them because they need them. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 14 or page 1248 if you're using those Bibles there. And uh, this will be our last uh, message in Acts for a, a month or so. We're going to take a break in August and do like we normally do in August where we do a, a, a few messages on our mission or our vision, who we are as a church, what we do as a church. And so you'll have an opportunity to hear from some of our other staff as well during that series starting next week. That series will start and then we'll settle back into Acts after uh, Labor Day is when we'll settle back into that. So Acts chapter 14, uh, again, a lot of verses this morning. We're not going to be looking at all of these verses this morning. So uh, I'm going to use that as an opportunity to remind you we put a reading schedule out. Uh, there, it's out there on the credenza. Now today's the last day of the one that's out there, so we'll put a new one out for the fall. But it's good to read ahead. That way, one, you're already thinking about what's, what we're looking at. Two, you've come with questions, so you're, you're, you're going to be tuned in a lot more. And then three, when we have large chunks like this and we don't cover every single verse, you at least have read through it and you know what's happening. So I can uh, consider doing that. Acts chapter 14 this morning. Um, you know, there's something called mission drift when it comes to organizations. Maybe, you, maybe you've heard about it where an organization has a mission. It's what they do. It, it's how they get to where they're going. And, and so it's usually phrased in some kind of a pithy statement, memorable statement. And it's usually the most important thing about that company. It's what sets that organization apart. And a church is included in that statement. A lot of times churches will have mission statements. And, it, and, and every church, by the way, every church's mission statement has to somehow tie into the Great Commission. Our mission has already been given to us. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, a church may phrase that differently, and, and, it, and it reflects that, but if a church comes up with a mission statement, here's what we do, here's how we're going to do it, and it doesn't tie into that, that's not biblical. That's not how God intended it. But as with any organization, when you have a mission statement or a mission focus, sometimes there's things that come along to distract you from that mission, to, to take you off of that mission and that focus, and you start to drift, and you give your attention to something else, and you no longer accomplish the mission because you've drifted away from it. Organizations do this all the time if they're not careful. Um, my favorite restaurant down in Houston that I talk about all the time, Lupe Tortilla, because they're beef fajitas that are, that are marinated in lime pepper marinade, um, they really do those very well. And that's all I ever get when I go there. And I heard this week that they're now opening up for breakfast. Why? I mean, I'm sure it's going to be good. And, and it's going to be good breakfast tacos. But they do the fajitas so well. I just hope they don't drift. 
But you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, there's other organizations where, where things come along and, and maybe it's because of revenue, they, they want to make more money or they want to break into another market and so they start to spread themselves too thin and they start trying to do a lot of things instead of focusing on doing a few things well and they drift from their mission and they lose focus. Other ones, maybe they come under attack. Some scandal happens or some controversy happens or there's division within the organization and now the time and the attention gets brought over to dealing with the, the, uh, the, the division or, or the conflict or something like that and so then they're no longer focusing their energy on the, 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 the mission. Listen, we're, we're susceptible to that as well. As a church, as a group of people who gather together and we worship the Lord and we're following Jesus and, and our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations, there's times where we're going to get distracted and we're going to lose focus on the mission. And this morning, the verses that we're looking at, that's the risk that Paul and Barnabas are facing. There's some things that are taking place that could pull them off the mission. However, what you're going to see is when you come under attack, don't shrink back from proclaiming the gospel. We're going to see Paul and Barnabas not shrink back when they come under attack. And we're going to see this in three different attacks this morning uh, that, that we see in these groups of verses. And the first one that we're going to see is this. Don't lose focus when facing personal attacks. And so look with me at, at chapter 14, verse 1. The same thing happened in Iconium. So he had experienced some pressure, some persecution in a previous town. They're, they've traveled on to another place, and so that's where this is picking up. The same thing happened in Iconium when Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a large group of both Jews and Greeks believed. So Jewish people and non-Jewish people, hearing the message of God about Christ, respond by believing and it stirs up stuff. Verse 2, but the Jews, and that's going to be the Jewish religious leaders, and, and that group who's trying to follow the Jewish religion, they refuse to believe, those who refuse to believe, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So stop there for a minute. Here's the personal attack. The Jewish uh, people who refuse to believe, and notice who's accountable, by the way, for not believing, the Jewish people who refused to believe, they then stir up trouble among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and the way they do it is by personally attacking Paul and Barnabas. And the way this personal attack manifests itself is in poisoning the mind. You ever had your mind poisoned against someone? Or maybe, I, I, sometimes I say it like this, the well was poisoned. They, someone poisoned the well. And, and what, what it is is this, someone has told you something about someone else that you've not met yet, or maybe you met them, but they tell you something, and it changes the way you treat them, think about them, act around them, because the well or their mind has been poisoned against you. Maybe it's an organization that you've been a part of where they tell you about another organization and, and, and they say that this organization, they, they, are, they, they don't do this well, they don't do that well, and their, their motives are really this. And so because you've never interacted with that organization, you buy into that, your mind has been poisoned. And so now when you interact with anyone from that organization, that's what you, you think about. And so there's a distance. 
A practical example I just thought of a few minutes ago, uh, how I experienced this a while back. Um, When I was younger, college age, and I was changing churches, okay? So I grew up in a denominational church. My family had grown up in that denominational church, very um, rigid denominational church. Um, And not that that's necessarily always a bad thing, but in this case it was. And I had switched church to a church very much like Houston, non-denominational, a little more fluid in the way they do their worship services. And I can remember I was taking my little sister once. And as we're driving out there uh, to this church, I looked in the rearview mirror and I could tell my little sister was nervous. And so I asked her, I said, are you nervous? And she says, yes. And I said, why are you nervous? And she said, because mom told me that I might be scared to come to this church that we're going to this morning because they're different and they do things differently and they might raise their hands. (laughs) But coming from the background I came from, that's a big deal because only people in cults raise their hands. And so her mind, before she even got to experience this church that had completely changed my life and had completely changed my direction, she was poisoned and her thoughts about that church we're already determined. You, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been on the receiving end of, of, of a well being poisoned, of a mind being poisoned. Maybe it was at work. Maybe it's in your friend group. Maybe it's in your community. Maybe it's in an organization that you're part of where you realize someone's relating to you and it's not based on your relationship. It's based on someone else's relationship with you. And they're relating to you and there's distance and there's no reason for that distance between the two of you, but it's because someone else has poisoned their mind against you. Maybe you've experienced that in regard to trying to share the gospel. Maybe it was with your family. Maybe it was with a friend group. Maybe it was with your classmates. Maybe it was in the community. And you're just trying to share this message of the gospel and you're trying to live this out. But those who you're trying to live it out among or share it with have had their minds poisoned against you. Here's what their motives are. They're just, they're just going to condemn you to hell. They're not, they're not really going to approve of the choices that you're making. You're not going to find acceptance with them or whatever the case may be. Or maybe it goes even deeper and it's more personal. And it gets about the motives of the, of the person. I don't know. But you've experienced this, some of you. And you know how hard it is to overcome that. And you know the frustration that comes with it when you're, when you're having to work harder at something because... I haven't, I haven't done anything here, but this person's relating to me with some baggage that's not even theirs. Maybe some of you have allowed yourself to be used that way. Maybe some of you have allowed yourself to poison the mind of someone else in your community, in your organization, in your friend group, in your family, and it's caused the people that you've poisoned their mind to relate to someone else in a way that's not right, that's not fair. And I want to take just a moment this morning and say, listen, if it's happening here in the church, among believers in your family, in the church, broadly speaking, it has no place. None. It is a tool of Satan to cause division and distraction. And it should not be allowed to fester to continue, and if you have found yourself being used in that way or allowing yourself to be used that way, you got to repent. You got to repent. And maybe you're at an organization or, or business where, man, I, I just can't stop poisoning the mind. And listen, uh, uh, poisoning the mind, it's a heart issue. Look at them. They refuse to believe. That's a heart issue. And out of the heart flow the words that come out of our mouths. 
If you're poisoning the well with someone, you've got to repent and deal with the heart. And listen, if you're part of an organization where, look, you're poisoning the well, you're poisoning a mine, and you just can't, you can't get past that, then leave. Remove yourself from that friend group. Remove yourself from that community or that organization. It's not good for you. It causes bitterness and it causes, it causes unhealth and dysfunction. I know. I've been in that spot. I've been the one who have poisoned wells before. And you let it go too long and you think it's normal and you get people that surround you. It has no ploy, place. And in the church where our mission is to pursue the Lord and to make disciples of all nations by proclaiming the gospel, this kind of thing will keep a church divided and it will keep a church distracted. It's a personal attack and it can't be allowed. But look what Paul and Barnabas do. Verse 3. So they stayed there for a considerable time. See, most people would leave. Most people, when, when a personal attack comes your way, and, and maybe it's taken on a different form, and maybe it's been personal insults. Maybe it's insulting your family. Maybe you've received personal attack in a different way, but most people would just stop. They would back away from the conflict. They would remove themselves and say, it's not worth it. Unless it's worth it. And Paul and Barnabas stayed longer for a considerable time because they had, one, they had barriers to overcome, but two, this is the kind of thing when the, when the mind's being poisoned, you know the only way to overcome that is for those people whose minds have been poisoned to experience you or the message for themselves. And Paul and Barnabas stayed so that would happen. And they spoke out courageously for the Lord who testified to the message of his grace, granting miraculous signs and wonders to be performed through their hands. And so as they stayed and they plowed some hard ground, like it's before, before the rain comes and the ground is real hard. So you guys really get this. And, and maybe it's not so hard with the tractors now, but back in the day when, when you were having to plow more manually, or maybe you've done this in your garden and you're having to break up some soil and it's real hard. And you got to keep at it and it makes you tired and, and you wear down and you fatigue. And at some point you say it's not worth it. See, they pressed on and they hung in there and they're plowing some hard ground. And look what God does for them. Really what God does for himself. As they proclaim the message about Christ. God testifies to that message. He has signs and miracles that are done through Paul and Barnabas, and it's to, look what it says, he testified to the message of his grace. When God does signs and miracles, it's because he's either testifying to Christ or messages about Christ. That's what a sign and a miracle is about. It's not about the person who does it. It's not about manipulating people. It's about God saying, that message that you just heard, I'm backing it. That person of Christ that you're considering, let me show you the power that's behind that. And that's what he does at their hands of Paul and Barnabas. And so they stuck with it, even though they had personal attack. Look at verse four. But the population of the city was divided because that's what personal attacks do. It divides. And some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Verse five, when both the Gentiles and the Jews together with their rulers made an attempt to mistreat them and stone them. So this personal attack had been festering. It elevated to the point where they wanted to do bodily harm. Verse six, Paul and Barnabas learned about it and fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding region. But look at verse 7. There they continued to proclaim the good news. Even when you experience persecution, don't shrink back. When you come under attack, don't shriek back. It's worth it. Unless you don't understand the message that you're proclaiming. 
But if you understand the grace that you've been shown through Christ, that it's completely undeserved, that God would bring you into his family because you're marked by sin. I'm marked by sin. I'm corrupted at my very core. On my best day, I violate the glory of God. And that alone, even the tiniest bit of violating the glory of God is enough to keep me from being in God's presence, to keep me from being a part of his family. And he would be completely just in giving me what I deserve, keeping me under the wrath of God that we are under until Christ removes us. Until you realize that that's what God has done for you, that's what he has done through Christ, so that when you believe in Christ, you receive the life of Christ instead of the death that our sin earns us. When you get that yourself, you realize the message is worth it. It's why missionaries will go to places where their life is at risk and they will do it at great cost. It's why people all throughout history have died on account of this message because of the resurrection of Christ, proclaiming that he did rise, he is alive, and he still gives life to people. It's why people are willing to give their life for that. And it sounds like absolute foolishness to people who have not believed that message. But all throughout history, people have given their life for this message. And it has not been quenched. Movements get quenched a lot of times when leaders are, are removed. And over time, with persecution, movements die. But this one has never died because God told, uh, Jesus told Matthew in Matthew 16 when he was telling Peter, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build the church on this foundation. And he said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Nothing's going to stop God's purpose and plan in getting this message about Christ out and bringing people into his family, into the kingdom of God. Nothing's going to stop that. No attack. But listen, God doesn't need us, but in his wisdom, he has chosen to use us to proclaim that message. And a life marked by the grace of God, proclaiming the message of God in the hands of God, it's one of the most powerful things. Powerful messages. And the enemy will not like that. Satan will not like that. Those who refuse to believe in Christ will not like that. Look, even sometimes church people who have believed in Christ, but their hearts have become callous because they've held on to sin that's unrepentant. Sometimes even church people don't like that. But don't shrink back when you come under attack. If, you've, if you're out there and you're living out the gospel and you're proclaiming the gospel and you're, you're trying and you're praying for people but you keep getting pressured, you keep getting attacked, don't stop. Instead, remember the message that you're proclaiming. Remember the impact. Remember the life that you've been giving. It's worth it. Don't lose focus because of personal attack. Another attack might come your way is a prideful attack. Don't lose focus when facing prideful attacks. And so we keep going in verse 8, and it says, In Lystra sat a man. So Paul and Barnabas have moved on to another town now, and he's there preaching. In Lystra sat a man who could not use his feet, lame from birth. He had never walked. Verse 9, this man was listening to Paul as he was speaking. When Paul stared intently at him and saw he had faith to be healed... He said with a loud voice, stand up right on your feet. And the man leaped up and began walking. Now this, this, this event right here is going to set the stage for the persecution in a moment. But listen, I just love this. Because here's this man sitting in this crowd listening to Paul preach. 
And as Paul's preaching, he, he focuses in on this man. You see, he says he looked intently at him. And as he looks intently at this man, he sees that this man has faith to be healed. How in the world does he see that this man has faith to be healed. It'd be like me preaching right now and I lock eyes with one of you. I'm not going to do it because it's going to make whoever I choose awkward, I'm sure. <laughs> so I lock eyes with you and then I see because God reveals to me you have faith to be healed. You're ready to trust Christ for healing. Not even necessarily salvation being talked about here. This is just, he had faith to be healed. And so Paul speaks to him and says, stand up, get up and walk. I love it because one, where did the faith come from? And two, look how God chooses to heal in this case. Paul, nothing mentioned about his faith, though we can assume it's there. Paul knew God does this stuff. Paul had seen God do this stuff. But this man's just listening to, to Paul preach and he has faith. He's, he's hearing something about Christ, no doubt. Maybe he's heard about others who have been healed and in that moment, he has faith to be healed. God still heals. He heals out of his compassion. He heals in response to faith. Today we see that as the example. He heals for his glory. He, he heals to bring uh, people to his message so that they would believe in Christ. He heals to gather crowds at times so that they can then see the, the healing and then hear the message so that they would respond and believe. God heals for all kinds of reasons. And we see him doing it in this case. But here's the event and it sparks this kind of persecution. So verse 11. So when the crowd saw what Paul had done, so they see this healing, they shouted in the Lyconian language. So keep in mind, these are no longer Jewish people. Paul's not in a Jewish region. He's in a pagan region. Non-Jewish people, people who worship multiple gods. Think Greek mythology here. They shout in their own language, the gods have come down to us in human form. They began to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of the temple of Zeus, located just outside the city, brought bulls and garlands to the city gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So as a result of healing, now these people look at Paul and Barnabas and they go, these are the gods living among us. One of them Zeus and one of them his messenger Hermes. And they start wanting to worship them as those gods. The priest comes, he's ready to make a sacrifice. Now pause for a moment. Maybe you remember a few weeks ago we saw something similar. Except it was King Herod who was sitting on a throne pronouncing some, 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 some message to the people that he ruled over and the people in response to his message started shouting out the voice of a God and not of a man. The voice of a God and not of a man. And Herod in that moment refused to reflect that glory back to God and God sent an angel and struck him down because he did not give God glory? That's pride. And listen, Paul and Barnabas find themselves in the same spot now. People are attributing the work of God to other gods and instead they're exalting the messenger, Paul and Barnabas, and they're calling them Greek gods. Look what they do. Pride is certainly lurking. It's waiting to attack. 
But verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard about it, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing these things? We too are men with human natures just like you. We are proclaiming the good news to you so that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. So they tear their clothes, which is a sign of of mourning, a sign of repentance. They're saying, no, 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 this can't be. And they take the attention that's being put on them and they're saying, guys, we are men just like you. We are simply proclaiming the message of the God who created all things. They reflect the glory. They don't take the glory that belongs to God and keep it for themselves. Had they done that, who knows what God would have done? But it would have taken the attention away from the message of Christ, the gospel, and it would have taken the attention away from God and would have put them on men, creatures, the created rather than the creator. Sometimes pride can keep us from proclaiming the message because we start to get more focused on the attention that it brings us. We start to think how, how good we are as compared to someone else. We start to think how, how skillful we are because how God is using us or how God has gifted us or how has, has God has given us the ability to do things. And we take those things that God in his grace has given us and gifted us for the sake of building up the church and instead we use it for our own glory. That's a distraction that will keep the message from being proclaimed when a people, a group of people, a person turns focus on themselves and elevates themselves. Now, most of you, unless you are called one day to be a missionary to a people group who is worshiping multiple gods, and there are some of you in here who that will be the case. God will one day call some of you, if he hasn't already, to go and minister, to go and bring the good news to a people group who has not heard it or to a people group where it has not taken root. And you're going to have some hard plowing to do in that, but God is going to equip you for that. But unless you are in that, you're probably not going to experience it like this. People probably aren't going to call you a God. If they do, it's probably sarcastic. But they're probably not going to do it like this. But one of the main ways that we are at risk of coming under a prideful attack is when in sharing the gospel, we take the glory for people who respond. And we talk about how many people I've led to Christ. I hate that question. Hate it. How many people have you led to Christ? None. God did all of it and he used me for everyone. But that question is so hard to answer. And then most time when people ask it, they're not asking it because they want to put the attention on you. But listen, how easy it is to start to brag and to boast about how many people you've led to Christ. And then you inflate the numbers. And then maybe it becomes not about actually seeing people genuinely believe. It's just something only God can bring about. But instead, you start to bring people to a moment and you force them into something that God's not doing anything in. But they're your number. They're your tick mark that you're reporting. And there are some denominations that are worse at that than others and the intentions are good. The intent is a lot of times to try to measure things but pride is so subtle and it creeps in so easily into our heart and we, we start to just elevate ourselves even just a little bit. I did that. I rocked it. 
like I spoke in such a way that they couldn't resist. When in reality, if a heart has been changed and someone has genuinely believed in Christ, it's because God brought that about. And you were just the tool, the instrument, the vessel that God in His grace chose to use. And whenever my pride swells up, which it does, I like to remind myself, but I usually do it in the King James English, but I'm not going to do it in front of you in the King James English. I like to remind myself that God used a donkey to proclaim his message in the Old Testament. He doesn't need me when he can use a King James version. Okay? Prideful attacks. Don't lose focus because of prideful attacks. Lastly, don't lose focus when facing physical attacks. And so we go to verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and after winning the crowds over, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, presuming him to be dead. So stoning, you, you probably get the idea, but you pick up stones, and you're throwing them at person. You, you're surrounded them. They can't get out, and you're throwwing it at them, and the goal is to throw it at them until they die. What a way to go. Just being pelted by rocks. People just throwing them as hard as they can. Pitching practice right at your head. And you're just getting pelted from all sides. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, was killed by stoning. Paul comes near death at this point. Now, if you, you've, you've endured through the personal attack, and if you've endured and you resisted the prideful attack, most people at the physical attack would say, it's not worth it. I've got to think about my family, my kids, my wife, my husband. I've got to think about others. My life is not worth this. Paul no one would fault him if after being stoned near to death, he says, I barely escaped that one. I think I need to get out of this business and do something that's a little safer. God does not guarantee safety. And it's an okay thing to pray about, absolutely. But just know that sometimes God in his plans and in his purposes, he doesn't guarantee safety because sometimes at the hands of evil people operating in sin, God's still going to receive glory through that. And you've got to keep in mind that even though God is sovereign and he's in control of all things, Satan is still at work right now. And God has given him parameters to be able to operate. And he's influencing people to oppose the message. And sometimes, God in his wisdom, which is far beyond us, does not prevent something like this, or like Stephen being stoned to death, but instead takes those moments and uses them for his glory. You might find yourself coming under pressure. Most of us have never experienced persecution. If you go and you're in a country where the gospel is oppressed or forbidden, you might experience physical persecution. But listen, I, I'm real mindful of when we talk about persecution. I have two, uh, two temptations. One is, is to, to, to beat it and beat it and beat it. I guess that's a poor choice of words when talking about persecution. But I, I, just to kind of you know, bring it home and know that most of us in this room will never understand it. And so then, in, in doing that, then my temptation as a communicator, as a pastor, as a preacher, is to water it down to a way that you will understand and make persecution what we would really need to just call pressure. Because listen, I don't think anyone in this room has been stoned. I mean, it's possible because I don't know every single one of you. I don't think most of us have, have practiced our faith at the, resist, at, the, at the risk of our head being cut off or being shot to death or being murdered or something worse. But maybe you're connected to a missionary 
Who does? Or some of you who are from other countries, maybe you do know that risk. And so I don't want to water down persecution. Instead, I want to keep it before us because we need to know it happens. And it happens every day in countries across the world where people are not free to gather and worship and they do so in secret and they do so at great cost to their life. But they don't stop, many of them, from proclaiming the gospel. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. He goes to another town. But look, he does leave. Okay, so, so, so take note. There is an appropriate time to remove yourself from a situation and move on. But look, he doesn't retire. Verse 21, after they had proclaimed the good news in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. He just removes himself from a city that's rejecting the gospel. And he moves on to another one and continues to proclaim it. When you come under attack, don't shrink back from proclaiming the gospel. Verse 22, they strengthened the souls of the disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying we must enter the kingdom of God through many persecutions. When you come under attack, don't shrink back from proclaiming the gospel. I realize talking about something like this, many in the room may not see any application in it. And perhaps on one level that's because you're not out sharing the gospel. Perhaps you're not experiencing any kind of pressure or any kind of kickback or pushback because you're not putting yourselves on the front line. You're keeping yourself in a position of comfort and security, all of which are things that keep us distracted from proclaiming the gospel. But listen, those of you who are whether that's I'm living it out among my family, whether that's I'm living it out among, among my organization that I work with and I'm experiencing personal attacks or I'm experiencing slander or I'm battling with that pride in moments. Some of you are experiencing that. Listen, don't shrink back. The message is worth it because the person at the heart of the message is worth it. Some of you this morning as you're listening to me, maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian or, or maybe you've never trusted in Christ and so you hear me talking about proclaiming the gospel and maybe your experience has been you got to go and share this message so you can check off a box. Just check off a box. Or, or go proclaim this message because if you don't, there's things that you won't receive. Blessings you'll miss out on or, or eternity might be affected by it. Listen, we don't share the gospel to check a box off. We don't share the gospel to influence God to accept us. We don't share the message about Christ for any other reason except that we have received that message first. And we know the impact of God's grace. We know how undeserving we are because we're so impacted by sin. And God in his grace took people who are impacted by sin and who at their very core, their very nature, rebel against God, go their own way, try to find their own way to reach God. And yet he sent Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for you and me to clean up our, our mess of a lives. He didn't wait for you and me to earn a certain level of, of holiness or spiritual maturity. He knew fully what he was getting. 
He knows the, the crooked nature of our hearts. He knows the, 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 the pride that lurks inside of us. He knows the way that we manipulate people. He knows the way that we use other people to get what we want. He knows the anger and the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the jealousy and all the stuff that's in there. He knows all of it. And yet he still sent Christ to die for people like us, for sinners. And the very man who's, who we're reading about right now, Paul, would write to one of his, his young ment mentees that he was influencing. He says, look, this is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the chief among them. I am the first. I am the worst, he would say. But then he would go on and he'd say, but God saved me so that in saving me, he might demonstrate his incredible patience for everyone else who would believe after me. You might think you're beyond God's mercy, beyond God's grace. You're not. In fact, you're exactly the kind of person that Christ came for, to live a life that you and I can't live because no matter how hard we try, we fail at it. Christ did it perfectly, and he did it in our place, earned that righteousness that you and I can't earn. And then he continued on in our place when he stood in our place in death, taking what you and I deserve because as Paul would tell us in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin, what we earn because of sin is death. But it's not what we get when we're in Christ because the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He stood in our place in death, taking what we deserve, taking the wrath of God towards sin, our sin, so that we would not have that. And then he died willingly and he rose from the dead three days later rising to a new type of spiritual life overcoming death overcoming sin and now when we believe in Christ we don't get what we deserve we get what he earned that life that he earned he takes people who are spiritually dead and he wakes them up that we might believe in Christ and receive this life and now know God as father not as just a distant creator, but as a personal, loving father who has adopted us and brought us into his family, called us his children, and given us all the rights that come along with being a child of God. And it's all undeserved. It's all grace. And some of you in this room required more grace than others. But at the end of the day, it's all grace. You didn't do a thing to earn it. You have nothing to do to boast on it. So as we kind of wrap this up, take a moment. Is any of these attacks personal, prideful, physical? Are you coming under any of that as you're trying to live out the gospel, proclaim the gospel, live out your faith among people you interact with? Has it discouraged you to shrink back? Go before the Lord and ask Him today, God, would you encourage me this morning? Others of you, maybe, are you, are you part of any of these attacks? Go before the Lord and repent. Confess that to him. And others of you, ask God, why is this message worth me considering? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. La, 
to my life I will live for you alone You're the one I seek Knowing I will find All I need in you stay when you move I'll move I will follow you who you love I'll love how you serve I'll serve if this life I lose I will follow you in just a moment we're going to dismiss and we'll have some people available throughout the room to pray with you if there's something specific you would like prayer about let them know They'd be glad to pray with you. Or you have questions about what does it look like to trust in Christ? Can you tell me what more about this message about Christ? They'd love to visit with you about that. And so in just a moment, if you're part of the prayer team, you can make your way up here to be available. And so, Father, as we dismiss from here today, would you remind some of us in this room why the message is worth it? And if our motives in sharing the gospel have become anything but focused on Christ, anything but focused on bringing glory to you, if it's anything about us, God, would you reveal that to us that we might repent of that? Cut that out of our hearts. And God, if there's, there's attacks that are taking place in, in, in this room on people because they're living their life out for you and you're using them, but, but they're being attacked, God, whether it's personal, whether it's prideful, or in maybe some cases even physical, God, would you encourage them now? You're the God of encouragement. You're the God who lifts us up. So God, would you do that now? That they would be reminded that they're just following in the footsteps of the one they're following, Christ. That the very one who gave his life for them, they're just experiencing a piece of what he experienced and to count that as joy. And then God, others, would you open their hearts and their eyes to understand the gospel and how great your love is for them through Christ, that they would believe and know the life that you offer. God, all these things I pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week.